I really am looking forward to this series in Jonah. As I've been reading through the book over and over again for the last month or so, um, man, so much has started to stand out to me. I mean, not only is this an amazing story in and of itself, but it represents some really deep truths about who our God is and what we are like. It says a lot about the nation of Israel kind of as a picture um, and, and it's got so much God's mercy reaches out so far and so hard. It is to the discomfort of his people that they're not okay with it. Um, w- one of the authors, a Bible teacher that, um, that, that I occasionally read, don't agree with everything he says, but I thought he hit Jonah on the head with this statement. He said, Jonah is the subversive story of a rebellious prophet who hates God for loving his enemies. Whoa. I'm going to be honest. I had to look up the word subversive. All right. Uh, I I dig holes for a living, so bear with me. I, I had to look up the word subversive, but it basically means to overthrow, to bring about downfall of an established system or law. I learned a little bit about subversion about four years ago when I went to the theater for the premiere of Star Wars Episode 8. David, this is for you. Uh, so you remember that the original Star Wars trilogy had a great following. It was, it was just fantastic. Everybody loved Star Wars. Then a few years later, the, the prequels came out. Remember Episodes 1, 2, and 3? Hated by Star Wars fans generally. And then episode seven came out, right? So this was like 40 years later, something episode seven came out and I went to see it. I was just delighted. I, oh, this is so great. And, and, you know, it just seemed like it was really well received and it didn't take long for the Star Wars critics, which by the way, you can't please Star Wars. Like the true Star Wars fans seem like they're not going to be happy with anything. So they said episode seven was basically a repeat of the first three movies and they're oh, the same story over and over. Just copycat from George Lucas. So they get Ryan Johnson to direct the, the, I, I know I'm losing some of you here. Just stick with me. We'll get to the Bible in a minute, but Ryan Johnson comes along and he just, and he uses subversion big time. He just, throws everything over, right? So the big baddie who is set up in episode seven, who is going to be like the new bad guy for this whole series, well, he kills him off in like the second act of this movie. So it's like everything is just topsy-turvy. Nothing is going the way that we want to. And here's the thing, or nothing's going the way that we thought it was going to. And here's the thing, is for all of us who are Star Wars fans, who are watching, like we watched all the previews, after we watched the movie, we went back and re-watched the previews, and he told us exactly what he was going to do. Did he not? He said, Luke Skywalker said, this isn't going to go how you think. And then uh, one, of the, one of the other characters says, let the past die. Kill it if you must. This is subversion in its cinematic glory. Subversion happens when the story goes the opposite way that you would expect. And here in Jonah, we find the prophet, the one who is going to be the mouthpiece for God, the one who is going to represent God to the people. The prophet is rebellious. We find in our story here in chapter 1, the, the pagan sailors who are with Jonah, they show more faith than Jonah does. Jonah is called to go to a sinful 
angry, violent, proud people. And those people show humility. More humility than Jonah does. God's mercy spreads beyond the comfort level of his people. Do God's people, and do we by extension, reflect that mercy and that compassion? So Jonah is unique among the prophets. Most of the prophets, their, their books are about their message. But Jonah's not like that. In fact, Jonah's message in, in, in Hebrew is five words long. That's it. The focus isn't on Jonah's message. The focus of the book of Jonah is really on Jonah. And it causes us to hold up a mirror and consider how much we are like Jonah. Because the truth of Jonah is this. People run from God. But God chases. People run. God chases. In Jonah, everyone is running from God at the start. The Ninevites, the sailors, and even the prophet himself. And Jonah is a picture of the way that we all run from God. So just like any story, it makes a lot more sense if we set it in its historical context. And if we kind of get a little bit of the backstory, probably like some of you who are totally lost when I talk about Star Wars. Let's give some of the backstory here uh, to the book of Jonah. We're going to start right at the beginning of the foundation of Israel as a people, as a nation. We're going back to the very first patriarch, Abram. I want us to pay careful attention to what God tells Abram in this in this story. In Genesis chapter 12, this is the beginning of it all. God says this, And I will make you a great nation, Abram, and I will bless you and make your name great. Why? So that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. And him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. God is going to make a special nation out of Abram. Who's Abraham before, Abram before this? He's a nobody. He's just a guy, right? He's called out by God for a special purpose. But in him, all the nations of the earth would be blessed. And everyone who blesses him, God would bless. And everyone who curses him, God would curse. So you get this sense that Abram isn't just a thing in and of himself, but it's really God is blessing him to bless the whole world. Next, in Exodus chapter 19. I don't know if you noticed this, but this is right before the giving of the Ten Commandments. So Abram's family has grown. And so they've, they've grown and become this huge uh, family, this big nation. They're in slavery. They're delivered out of slavery 400 years in Egypt. Maybe this is familiar to you. They're delivered out of this, and now they're at the basis of Mount Sinai. They're right at the foot of it, and it's like, let's define the relationship. And so this is what God says to them. Now, therefore, if you, he's speaking to the nation, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured people, um, my treasured possession among all peoples. For all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. When the Lord calls Israel a kingdom of priests and a holy nation, he's not referring just to that role that Aaron and his sons would play as the priests who did the sacrifices. But he's also referring to what Israel's life as a whole is to represent among the nations. 
by keeping the covenant, hear this, by keeping the covenant, the people of Israel would continue to both set themselves apart from and also to mediate the presence and blessing of the Lord to the nations around them. What an important role they would play. In in other words, God is setting them apart to be holy, not just as holiness and an end of itself, but so that they could do what God had wanted them to do, and that is to bless the whole world through Abraham's line. Do you see that? Are we tracking so far? Okay, thank thank you, Mike. (laughs) Audience participation. And finally here in in, uh, Isaiah chapter 42, he says this, I am the Lord. I have called you in righteousness. I will take you by the hand and keep you. I will give you as a covenant for the people, a light for the nations. Israel was to speak and act in such a way that the nations around them would want to worship the true God. They weren't chosen because they were better than anyone else. They were a special people to display the one God and the one true way to relate to the one true God in a world that believed in many gods. They were chosen by God to be to be missionaries. The prophets were special people. So we're, we're going to drill this down to Jonah now. The prophets were special people among Israel that God would use to declare his message to his people Israel or sometimes to other nations. Most often the prophets were given a message to correct and rebuke Israel. And remember, the reason that God was helping Israel shape up, that he wanted them to shape up, wasn't just so that they could be nicer. It was so that they could be his missionary, that that they could be the light to the world that he'd called them to be. Some prophets spoke to other nations outside of Israel. So some of those, uh, most of them never actually went over to the place where they were prophesying to. They would just kind of like what I would say, work from home. Some of us are doing that these days. Just working from home, writing the letter and saying like, hey, this is what God says to you guys. Uh, sincerely, Obadiah. Put it in the mail. But Jonah's unique even among those prophets. He was a prophet of the God of Israel with a message for Nineveh, which was a big city in Assyria. But Jonah wouldn't give his message from afar. He didn't get to work from home. He was to go into that city and to and declare God's message to them in person. And Jonah's also a historical person. I think it should be noted. Just some people think, ah, Jonah's such a fanciful tale, you know, um, when when we think of Jonah, obviously we think of when when I say Jonah, you think of whale right or fish whatever there's so much more to the story of jonah that we can get like our familiarity can make us think oh yeah i i I get that one because like when you're in sunday school did you learn about obadiah did you learn about zephaniah did we learn about haggai or whatever no not really didn't even know how to pronounce them but jonah we're like oh yeah i got that one this one with a fish but Jonah was actually a historical prophet. He's in 2 Kings 14, and he, he was a prophet during the reign of Rehoboam II, who was a very disobedient king of Israel. So now with that backdrop, we'll jump into the book of Jonah. Okay, so Jonah chapter 1. Now to the word of the Lord came to Jonah the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it. For their evil has come up before me. So why did God want Jonah to go to Nineveh? Well, another prophet uh, who had the benefit of working from home, the, the prophet Nahum, says this about Nineveh. He says, woe to the bloody city. 
all full of lies and plunder, no end to the prey. Nineveh was the capital city of Assyria. Assyria was, was one of the most excessively violent kingdoms in that day. They were known for extreme cruelty. They would uh, torture people that they had conquered after they had already conquered them. They would cut out the tongues of anybody who would say something bad about Assyria. They would cut off body parts and feed them to their animals. Assyria was a terrifying people. They did so so that everybody around them would be terrified of them. This is who God called Jonah to go preach to. Isaiah 10.13 describes the arrogant heart of the king of Assyria is saying this. This is the king of Assyria speaking. By the strength of my hand I've done it. By my wisdom, for I have understanding. I remove the barriers of peoples and plunder their treasures like a bull. I bring down those who sit on thrones. To the people of Israel, Assyria was the essence of self-exaltation and anti-God power. So we can see at least in part why Jonah didn't, wasn't really excited about going to them. Carrying on in Jonah 1, but Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. Uh, just by way of geography, so you can kind of get the sense, like, if we're Israel here, uh, Nineveh is kind of up here, and Tarshish is like as far away as you can go, kind of like the edge of the known world. So Jonah's going to go the opposite direction, as far and as fast as he can. So he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. Jonah's running from the presence of the Lord. Um, It probably wasn't because he thought he could actually get away from God. He just wanted to be as far removed as possible from the calling that God had on him. And the truth is, we all run away from God. That's our problem. It's definitive of our human condition. The Bible calls it sin. We run our own way, and we don't want anyone telling us what to do. So here's the thing. When we talk about sin in American culture, there's a lot of things that could come to mind. But for many of us, if you're hearing this for the first time, it sounds a little bit like you're just living your own life. And all of a sudden you wake up one morning and you've got this drill sergeant who's telling you what to do, barking orders at you. And you're like, I didn't even sign up for the army. Who who does this drill sergeant think that he is? Who, Who does this God think that he is barking orders into my otherwise happy life? But here's the thing is that according to the Bible, God made everything. He made everything. He made dust, and he formed Adam out of dust. He formed him and shaped him, breathed the breath of life into his nostrils, and then from Adam's side, he he created Eve. God made us. We are his 
So the problem isn't so much one of us waking up to this drill sergeant. It's more like the dust shaking its fist at the very one whose breath is in our lungs and saying, who do you think you are? The question is, who do you think you are? Who do we think that we are to shake our fist at our Creator? Going on, but the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship threatened to break up. Then the mariners were afraid, and each cried out to his God, and they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship and had lain down and was fast asleep. So the captain came and said to him, what do you mean, you sleeper? Arise. Like, can you, I mean, so you're the captain of the ship. Uh, this storm is going to tear the boat apart. Everybody on the ship is freaking out. And there's, you go down to throw more cargo and you lift up a piece. And you're like, there's a dude there. He must be dead. No, he's sleeping. I think this is kind of an interesting side point. You know, Jonah up to this point has been deciding, am I going to do this? Am I going to follow God's call on my life or am I going to go my own way? Once he has decided to go his own way, he has this strange peace. And you know, it makes him so, he has been so exhausted dealing with his conscience up to this point that he can sleep when everything around him is falling apart. I think that is instructive for us. Some of us have been trying to ignore the voice of so, of God for so long that it's just like we've got a, we've kind of got a peace about it. That's a dangerous place to be because just because you have peace doesn't mean the ship isn't falling apart. So the, the captain's like, what in the world? Arise, call out to your God. Perhaps the God that you're going to call out to will give a thought to us that we may not perish. See, Jonah did not want to live out God's calling for his life. He wants to go his own way. Do you see the directions, though, in this passage? I've tried to emphasize these as I'm reading. There are two ways here. There's up and there's down. God calls Jonah to rise up to go to Nineveh. So Jonah rises up, yeah. But then he goes down to Joppa to get on a boat. He goes down into the boat. He goes down into the inner part of the boat. And when he's there, what does he do? He lies down. Even the pagan captain calls Jonah to arise. Do you see what Jonah, uh, what, um, sorry. God is calling Jonah up. And Jonah keeps deciding on his own to go down. Down here is a euphemism for death. When Jonah goes his own way, it leads closer and closer to death. And part of the message of Jonah is this. When we run from God's calling on our lives, things go down for us. And we get closer and closer to death, whether we are awake to see it or not. But God had a clear calling on Jonah's life. And Jonah didn't want any part of it. Jonah is a picture of Israel. God had a calling for his people, Israel, but they didn't want to live that out. 
The book of Jonah does not give us a whole lot of wiggle room here. It's pretty black and white. Either we are living up to God's calling on our life, or we are going our own way, which leads us down. The Bible has a lot to say about this, but we'll just look at this quickly. You can go your own way. We all do. Isaiah 53 says it like this. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one of us to our own way. And the Lord has laid on him, that is Jesus, the iniquity of us all. Jeremiah says it like this. Another prophet. My people have been lost sheep. Their shepherds have led them astray, turning them away on the mountains. From mountain to hill they have gone. They've forgotten their fold. And look what happens as a result to these lost sheep. All who found them have devoured them. And finally, in Proverbs 14, it says, There is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death. Everybody runs. Everybody. One of the most helpful things you can know about yourself is how do you run? God's provided you a community here to speak the truth to you about God's calling on your life and to maybe help you know how you run. As one of the elders here, it has been very difficult to see people walk away from here, end up just lost, and we didn't even know where they were, because they were never part of a part of the community here. They were never leaning in. They never had anybody sharing God's truth with them on a personal level. It was just them and God. But as we celebrated this morning. This is much bigger than just God and you. This is God and us. God is building an us, and we are one another's protection against falling away from the living God. I would love to encourage every single one of us here, make it a priority to find some way to get involved in a group where you can share what's really going on in your life. You can share how you run and you can have others speak the truth of the gospel into your life to keep you from running far. And I know that some people, they, they can't make it to life group. Some, some people have got sports. Some people have got other things. There's schedule things. I get it. But would you at least commit to attending every time you can? Will you at least commit to, when you can't make it, will you commit to checking in with somebody from your life group? That's what life groups are for. Stop running and see what grace does to you when it catches you. Because like Susie said, it will change your life. But many of us aren't giving it the opportunity. So I know that was heavy. Let's go back to the light story of Jonah. 
And they said to one another, come, let's cast lots that we may know on whose account this evil has come upon us. So they cast lots, which, by the way, is, it's kind of like it's kind of like throwing dice. Uh, there's different ways people ex- have explained it. I think of it for our day or maybe this was like my day of like the magic eight ball. Do you remember the magic eight ball where you'd be like, should I date this girl? And you'd like shake it up and it'd come up with a little answer or whatever. Um, it, it's that kind of thing. Um, but even the pagan sailors in this story, they recognize that this isn't just a regular storm. This is divine judgment. And there's a biblical principle here that the lot falls to Jonah. He, he, they shook the magic eight ball and it said Jonah. I mean, what are the chances of that? But be sure your sin will find you out. You might run from God. Or you might just pretend your sin's not a big deal. But be sure that your sin will find you out. You might not face a literal storm that's going to tear your life apart. You might not face that in this life. But the Bible is clear. Every one of us is going to stand before the one who made us. And we're going to give an account for him. And I'm not trying to give this doom and gloom. I'm just saying what the message of Jonah is. But the, I'm not trying to make a doom and gloom message here. And, and I hope that what you're hearing this morning isn't, you need to try harder. You need to be better people. That's not the message of Jonah either. But we aren't going to be able to walk in a way that is uh, that honors God out of this if we aren't clearly diagnosing what's actually wrong in us. So, uh, then they said to him, tell us on whose account this evil has come upon us. So the, the lot falls to Jonah. It's like, okay, man, I'm on. Uh, what's your occupation? Where do you come from? What's your country and what of what people are you? And Jonah said to them, I'm a Hebrew and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. I, I love this. The sailors find out that Jonah's God uh, made the sea and they're like, Really? So you thought, I'm going to flee from the Lord who made the sea on a boat. That doesn't seem like the smartest uh, solution. So then the men, of course, verse 10, were exceedingly afraid and said to him, What is this you have done? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. Yeah, I, I believe that at this point Jonah could have repented. There's nothing in the scripture that would say Jonah had to be thrown into the ocean. He confesses his sin. He identifies it, but he's not done running. Because people run from God. You run from God. Praise God. He chases. So then they said to him, what shall we do to you that the sea may quiet down for us? Uh, for the sea grew more and more tempestuous. He said to them, pick me up and hurl me into the sea. Are we past that part? Oh yeah, sorry about that. Pick me up and hurl me into the sea. Then the sea will quiet down for you. For I know it's because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. Here it is. This is the part of Jonah 1 that is really uncomfortable for us. Jonah would rather die than go to Nineveh and tell them God's message. The fear that Jonah had of going to Nineveh probably wasn't that he was going to be killed. I mean, we see here Jonah's not afraid to end his life. 
And we actually see later on in chapter 3, and somebody else is going to cover this, so I don't want to step on toes yet, but we're going to see that in chapter 3, that when God forgives Nineveh, Jonah's angry. He's like, I knew you were going to do this, and it seems like the reason he didn't go was because he didn't want his enemies to be forgiven. Jonah could not live with the notion that God's mercy would spread so far as to reach the Assyrian people. There's no doubt those people were evil. But God's plan all along was that the people of Israel would be a light to the world. And that they would see the true God through them. And this was the mission given to Jonah. It's a picture of Israel and their rejection of the mission. But just like Israel, the church of Jesus, us, we, have a clear commissioning from the Lord. From the Lord Jesus himself. He said this. These are familiar words to you, I'm sure. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the, uh, of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey all that I've commanded you. And behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. We have a clear mission from Jesus. But so many of us are so angry at the world, we would rather die running from God's calling than to represent him to the culture around us. Maybe some of us are just so numb to resisting the call of Jesus on our lives that we don't necessarily want to die. We just think that we can ignore it to death. So many of us are so distracted by the noise of the world that we've lost all sense of God's calling on our lives. Do you remember Jesus often said, he who has ears to hear, let them hear. Hebrews 3 puts it this way. Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. God has used this scripture many times in my life to get me to wake up. Because I find that with all the good things God's done in my life, I still find myself asleep at the bottom of the boat. In 1939, check this out, in 1939, in his screw tape letters, C.S. Lewis describes Satan's plans for the world as a kingdom of noise. Have you heard this? A kingdom of noise. Satan's plan is very simple, and that's to create so much noise in the world that man can no longer hear the voice of his God. He went on to describe how worldly success would be a trap for humans to bind us, uh, to blind us to our spiritual need and to numb us to the spiritual needs of the world around us. He said this, he said, prosperity knits a man to the world. And he feels that he's finding its place, his place in it, while really the world is finding its place in him. Do you remember the parable that Jesus told of the sower? The sower in this story of the sower, the seed is the word of God. Some seed fell on the path and was eaten by birds. That's what the enemy does. 
He steals the word once it's sown. Some seed fell on rocky ground and it grew for a moment, but was scorched because it didn't grow good roots. This is the one who receives the word with joy, but never grows. And when trials come, the, the, the plant withers up because it never took root. Some fell among the weeds and was choked out by the thorns. This is the one who can grow, but the cares of this life choke out the good word of God. So it never bears fruit. But some fell on good soil. And what did that seed do? Have you thought about this? That seed grew. And what did it produce? It produced more seeds of the same kind. That's what maturity looks like. Is that what would characterize your life? Reproducing seed that grows more seed around you? Or is your faith choked out by the cares and concerns of this life? Y'all, we might be a lot more like Jonah than we want to admit. This is why at Westside, we must come back to what Jesus said, what it means to be a disciple. A disciple is not just somebody who gets it and just kind of does their own thing. Just me and God, whatever. A disciple is someone who is following Jesus, being changed by Jesus, and who joins Jesus on his mission. God's mercy is a spreading mercy. If God's mercy isn't spreading through you to others, what do you think God might want you to do about that? If God's mercy isn't spreading through West Side to others, what do you think God might want us to do about that? Nevertheless, the men rode hard to get back to dry land, but they couldn't, for the sea grew more and more tempestuous against them. See, the the sailors here show more regard for Jonah's one life than Jonah does in this whole story for hundreds of thousands of people. They're doing everything and anything that they can to keep from having to throw Jonah overboard. But Jonah is all too happy to let these lost souls die on their own. It's a rebuke on Jonah. It's a rebuke on Israel. And it's a rebuke on us today, if we have ears to hear it. Therefore, they called out to the Lord. O Lord, let us not perish for this man's life. Lay not on us innocent blood, for you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. So they picked up Jonah and hurled him into the sea, and the sea ceased from its raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly. Did, did you notice this? Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. I've heard people say like, well, it wasn't a really big deal. It's more like, oh, God, you saved me. Thanks so much. And then they go about their own way, whatever. I don't know. The Bible doesn't really say. What it does say, though, is that they seem to be pretty serious about it in the moment, which is more serious than Jonah was. Do you see how even in Jonah's rejection of God's calling on his life, God still uses him to bring others to repentance? So, here's the fish part. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. The story of Jonah points us to Jesus. 
When we were face to face with the consequences of our sins, there was only one way for the wrath of God against us to be stilled. We're all in the same boat. (laughs) Our sin has found us out. But the good news of the gospel is this, that just like Jonah was thrown into the violent sea and the storm stopped, Jesus was thrown into the fury of God's wrath toward our sin. He was thrown in for us and all who look to him as their substitute by faith will be saved from God's wrath. What does it mean to put your faith in Jesus? It means admitting that you've gone your own way. Just like we said we all do. That we run, but God chases. That you've gone your own way and that your way leads to death. You tell God you recognize you're a sinner who has rebelled against his authority. You know that your sin deserves eternal death, separation from God. And you look to Jesus, the Son of God who took on flesh and lived the life you didn't. So he could pay the price you couldn't. Like Jonah was three days in the fish, Jesus was in the tomb three days. And he was raised from death to life so that you too can now walk in newness of life. Some of us have believed that message for a long time. But like Jonah, we're disobedient to God's call to go and make disciples. We might run away on a boat or we might just try to drown out the noise of his call. You know, we don't need to go to Nineveh to find a sinful city in need of God's word. We can do that right here. How would your life look different if you believed God for his calling on your life to go make disciples? How would it change your work? How would it change your social life? What would that do in your family? What would Westside Dream about this with me for just one second as we close. What would Westside look like if every one of us believed that Jesus has called us to be his witnesses right here in Hillsboro and all the way to the ends of the earth? I'll close with this. When Peter was writing to a group of spread out Christians, he said this, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. Does that sound familiar? Why? Why are we a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation? Why are we a people for his possession? That you may. That you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Brothers and sisters, That's why we're saved. We are saved to be united with God and to join Jesus on his mission. Will we do it? Father, we thank you so much for this uh, convicting book. We thank you that you are so patient with us. Some of us are asleep. And Lord, I thank you that you call us to wake up. But I pray today that if any are hearing your voice calling them to arise, that they would not harden their hearts. 
that they would not rebel against you, but that they would walk gladly in the way of your calling, your calling on their lives. Lord, would you do that in us? Only you can do it. We can't do it by human effort. We can't force our way into it. Only your spirit can do what you've called us to do here. So would your Holy Spirit, we ask you to be active in our lives, convicting us, moving us. In Jesus' name, amen.